Thank you for coming Thank you okay. for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am so excited to be here for our fifth season of the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. In 2015, I founded the queer improv show, Thank You For Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During that show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. The podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I'm so excited to have my guest with me here today. Britt, they, them, is a visual artist and writer whose work explores trauma and healing, queerness and connection. You can find their work at Britt Cheetah or at Britt Cheetah on wherever you get your social media. Britt, hello. Hey, hello. How, how, so I, you know, you and I just literally caught up for 30 minutes, but for everyone who's listening... Generally speaking, <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm doing really well. I am brand new. I'm three weeks into being a full-time artist. That's a big change in my life. So I quit my day job earlier this month and I'm doing the art thing full-time. And I am like probably some of the happiest that I've ever been, you know? So yeah, I'm really good. That's amazing. What's what's been your favorite favorite part about working for yourself full time so far? Yeah. Oh, okay. Man, there's actually a lot of things, but I have to say that you know, I mean, this huge. I'll be talking about this more, I'm sure, but this huge theme of the last 15 years of my life has been like my health and mental health, and not really being able to keep up sometimes with the things that are important to me and. What I found for the first time in my life is that if I have enough space and kind of flexibility to stop and feel what I need to feel and kind of like regulate through things, that I can be pretty well. I think, you know, just the structure of like something comes up, but I have to go to work and something comes up, but I'm still at work for six more hours or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. And like, and then the way that I sort of push, every, cram everything into the corners of my week um, everything felt compressed and I just was constantly in this sort of deficit. And now just the freedom to sort of be present with myself. Um, that's like aside from the work, I guess that's just being able to be me. It feels amazing. I, I think it's been a remarkable and happy realization to realize that I actually can take care of myself and get through the kind of waves that hit me if I have the space to do it. So there's that. Plus I've been making a lot of art and just having a ton of time at home with my wife. She also does this full time with Danielle and um, our dogs. And yeah. Amazing. Pretty happy. Uh, just as you were, as you were saying that, I just have this thought of like capitalism is terrible. And it's like, because nine to five jobs yeah. really are not set up for humans. <laughs> like to like yeah, treat us as so people. True. And uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. To give us the time and space to, you know, to regulate, to process, to yeah. check in with what's happening in our bodies, to be able to show up and be present in our jobs. And so, um, yeah, 
I think it's spectacular that you've created the space for you to be able to be productive, enjoy your work, and also yeah, take care of yourself to feel healthy and happy. Yeah. I mean, that is exactly how it is with a job. It's like this idea that, okay, now for nine hours, you have no needs. And it's like, maybe you don't have massive needs, but you do continue to have needs all the time. And they quite piled up by the end of nine hours and by the end of 48 hours and by the end of two years and 10 years, you know, and then that's a lot. And it doesn't have to be a lot. If you have the space to just kind of, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes all throughout the day makes a huge, huge difference. Huge. As you were saying that I was reminded of uh, back when I used to live in Ohio, I worked at a bank call center and we only were given Mm. like, it was like two or three, five minute breaks and like 30 minutes for lunch. And that included yeah. like, if you had to pee yeah. and I, I have to pee all the time. Yeah. And the fact I had to like clock out, clock back in and they were monitoring it. I'm like, I have to pee. Like I'm going <laughs> to yeah. go pee regardless. Like, but like what's, yeah. that's like such a yeah. uncomfortable uh. way to live. And so many people live that way. And this, the, the it is. hourly, yeah. the hourly way. So actually, so, you and I recorded an interview for this podcast almost two years ago to the day <laughs> and yeah. we never aired it. And so True. I would, I want to like, I want to, <laughs> we, never aired, we never aired it. Let's talk about it. So at that point. Okay. Let's. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause so you have such a huge social media following. And at that point you'd never revealed your face and not really even your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, mm-hmm. I would go, I would say just like very private about you as a human and yeah. very, very open yeah. and vulnerable as an artist, but as the human yeah. <laughs> portion of that, <laughs> very private. And so it was a huge deal yeah, that you even totally. came on very to private. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talk to me, <laughs> yeah. tell me what's been I going tried. on. <laughs> yeah, I tried. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, so I think I, um, yeah, I felt very private, but also I was making this art and I wanted to share it. And I think I found this sort of little, just liminal space that I was able to be in that was perfect for me, where I was able to be super open uh, with my art about sort of my inner world, but then the anonymity of not really connecting it to who I am in real life made it possible, I think, to be that open and honest. Like for example, back then also a lot of people really had no idea even that I had this sort of whole art and social media thing. Like I wouldn't talk about it um, in real life. So I kind of had this split like two lives thing going on and I wanted to start, you know, I think being more connected there and being more, I guess, integrated, but I was just, scared. I mean, I'm still scared. I'm anxious. And then I just, the idea of people, um, knowing more about me opens up, you know, well, I suppose there's multiple concerns, but one of them is that I could be a lot more misunderstood. So I felt like when I didn't ever show my face or my voice and I said, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm non-binary people, didn't know, like they couldn't picture me. So they didn't have like a default category for me in their head. And people were pretty great across the board with using my pronouns. And so I I was worried, you know, like, let's see what happens. You know, if I, if I start speaking, people see me and they're just like, 
you know, it's a girl or something, whatever that like, I would lose the sort of self definition that I had been able to create on the internet, which was so special because I didn't have it in my real life at all. I mean, I know we're, we're talking about coming out, but I've had a very hard time being out about my gender because I can just tell people a hundred times and it seems to disappear. But on the internet, I had this space where I was taken seriously and seen. And so I wanted to protect that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally um, understand wanting to protect that part. You know, it's, it is not an easy thing to move through the world and be misgendered or be perceived in a way that we are not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's been pretty good. Yes. I've started showing my face um, on the internet (laughs) Um, (laughs) about just like in November. So I'm like, what, six months into doing that. And it's been pretty good. People, you know, it's absolutely skyrocketed the number of people, you know, the way that people use my pronouns and talk about me and stuff like that has changed a lot as I suspected it would. So that's been kind of sad, but in general, it's not been as scary as I thought it would be. Um, I mean, the internet is full of like dangers and mean people, but also it seems like the people, like my followers, like the people in my corner are actually really nice. Like I, I'm always afraid something bad is going to happen, but honestly, everyone has been pretty nice to me. So that's, that's been a good experience to kind of realize that my sense of how dangerous it is, isn't actually accurate. Yeah, that is. That's, that's so nice yeah. to know. I'm just, I'm trying to think like, I'm curious, like I will, I will invite you to share a coming out story, but I'm just curious before we move, move there. Um, was there some kind of moment or realization that you were like, I want to, I saw that you called it like the big reveal. Um, was there, <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> like, was there a like, little bit what, of drama? <laughs> right, right, right. But you know what? It's great. Um, celebrate who you are. Yeah. So was there like yeah. a moment or an inspiration for you that you're like, you know what? Let's do this. That's a good question. And there actually wasn't, um, which I'm kind of proud of because, okay, for example, when I said that I would do the interview with you two years ago, I said that in a moment where I was like, yeah, I'm ready to do this. I, so I would get these surges of feeling like, yes. And so I, I recorded the podcast and then I just like had a panic attack that night and a panic attack the next day and the next day. And then I was okay, what are these panic attacks about? I didn't feel particularly, it wasn't obvious to me that it was about the podcast, but the more I started like taking everything out and look at it, like, what could it be? I was like, it's the podcast. And so I messaged you and said, you know, can we not air it after all? And I felt much better. I stopped having panic attacks, you know, at least for a couple of days, which is good for me. Um, and so I think I would feel ready in moments, like moments, especially where I see other people, other queer people online, just looking like themselves and being themselves and feeling like, oh, I want that. But the fact of the matter was that I wasn't ready. And but when I say I, I just mean like my body and my nervous system. Like even when my mind was like, this would be a great idea. It's going to be fine. Wouldn't it be fun to make more connections if you could smile at people? Um, but every time I would try that, my body was just giving me a no. And so I waited until I started to get like a yes from like my body. Like I would think about it and I would sort of say, okay, I'm going to do this. And I would just sleep on it and think about it and also kind of not 
think about it and just notice my nervous system sort of response to that. And I just started consistently getting like an okay from my body last year. And so then in November, I just, uh, I filmed the little clip of like showing myself in October and I waited a whole month to post it just to see what came up. And um, I ended up making a painting about actually, I called my body gave me a yes. And I think it was actually one of the first times that I was patient enough to wait for that. A lot of times I, in my past, I've moved forward into things um, when I thought they were the right move or when I felt excited about them or when I felt had some, like clarity in my mind or an emotional kind of rush of like inspiration. And I didn't wait for my body to be ready. And in this case, it was just um, two years after I thought I was ready and <laughs> five years after I wished I was ready. And, um, and I got here and it feels really good and grounded. And that was a new thing for me. It's amazing. Um, and I, I just, it's, I am so happy for you and wish for other people, uh, all people, the, mm-hmm. the patience and the ability to really feel in tune with oneself and um just you know be able to work toward even if if, even if it wasn't like a conscious like I'm working towards this thing like the like the work on the back burner in the back of our minds like this is something I want and so how do I get there even if it's not conscious I think is really cool Mm -hmm. yep and sort of that caring a sort of like caring way of checking in with yourself, like being like, how do you feel about it now? How do you feel like it, about it now? It's not like a pushing or a pressure, but it is the kind of respect that acknowledges that you might feel differently about it today than you did yesterday. So always keeping that open, that openness to myself to be like, well, and how do you feel about it today? And as long as I sort of kept creating the space where the answer might be different, but without any pressure for it to be, um, you know, when the time came, it came and it was really like, deep and thorough and it wasn't um a tangle of mixed feelings which is really what I had when I was pushing it yeah I w- I'm wondering um I know you said that you like you gave yourself the space to feel whatever you would feel but did you ever have moments of like being hard on yourself wishing that you were in a space that you weren't in yet or was it really just like it is what it is and here's the space for it or was it a combo I'm not very hard on myself. <laughs> I really, it really just was pretty spacious. I can be hard on myself. I used to be hard on myself. I'm pretty nice to myself these last few years, to be honest. And that's just kind of my, my first priority. I used to, to put myself in these impossible, I would give myself these really like threatening and terrible mental gymnastics. I'd be like, well, what if you die before you ever do it? And then you have never done it, you know? And I would just kind of pin myself against the wall and ask myself these like really stressful questions. And then I just stopped doing that. And I think that happened when I was able to sort of respond to that part of me that wanted to like pin me against the wall and asking me these big questions to be like, okay, so then I die having taken care of myself and doing what I'm comfortable with being right where I was and like, just sort of like diffusing that. And then yeah, it's nice to be able to say this because I was hard on myself for a long time. I spent a lot of my life wanting to be somewhere that I wasn't. But these last few years, and especially around my art, 
I'm just very protective that I have to be nice to myself and I am. (laughs) That's amazing. It is such a, unfortunately, such a rarity to have someone be like, no, I'm just like really nice to myself. (laughs) Like everyone I talk to is like, I'm so hard on myself. It's like, (laughs) I talk to myself really, you know, it's like, it really gets me down. And it's such a breath of fresh air to be like, no, no, no. I'm like kind to myself. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's not always been that way. Um, but it is now. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, Okay, I'm, I will invite you to, now's the time to invite you to share a coming out or coming into self-story, but then I do want to, there's one thing I want to circle back to, but I'll, I'll get there. But now the floor, is, get the floor there. is yours. Okay. Yeah. Oh, coming out story. I was trying to decide what to tell you. I think I'm going to tell you a little bit of a different story. Well, a different version of the same story, which isn't that how it goes. You live a little bit longer and you look back and you're like, oh, the things that I thought were important about that are not actually the things that seem important about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I realized that I was queer when I was 25. So I was about to finish grad school and I wanted to stay in touch with an acquaintance that I had known and gone to school with for actually like four years, um, Danielle. And we just like emailed cause it was in the olden days and found, found a time to meet up and we got coffee at Grand Central Bakery on Hawthorne in Portland. And it was incredible I mean she rode her bike there from across town which is a small detail but that blew my mind and it was just one of like a million ways that she was just so capable and she was like quiet in this way where it just felt like she was totally present and she just noticed everything and she was so smart and funny and like she had just this surplus of self like she knew who she was and there was nothing to explain and in this, like, we had coffee for like an hour or two. And I experienced this kind of clarity that I don't know that I've experienced much of before or after. I ended up like later trying to think of a way to describe it. And I just called it an obvious yes, where it's like every part of me, like everywhere in my body, every part of my past self, current self, everything was like, yes. And I was like, I want to be best friends with this person. Mm -hmm. And like, I got her to go with me that night to see a band that was playing and kind of found excuses to hang out with her every day for the next month and a half. And it's like, it sort of sounds hyperbolic to be like, these were the happiest days of my life, especially when I told you I've been the happiest of my life since I quit my job. They've actually both been very happy. These are two, I'm in a happy moment talking about a happy moment, mm-hmm. but though I think those were the days it was the first time that I felt like I had everything that I need. I felt safe and happy in an uncomplicated way. And also I realized that I'd been kind of foundationally bad for my whole life because of what a shock it was to like want to live as much and long as possible. Um, now that I knew that this person existed and I had no clue what was going on. Um, I had no idea that I was falling in love, which is kind of, you know, uh, maybe a rare thing actually to so far out of scripts like I was so it had so never occurred to me that I was queer that I just fell completely head over heels in love and it felt like we invented the whole thing and I I just don't know how else to describe it it was just like when later when I realized that that's what was happening I just was gobsmacked that I was like 
I could not believe anyone else had ever experienced this. And I've grown up, I mean, I've, I've seen all the movies and the songs and everything. And I was like, this, like none of that looks anywhere near as good as this is. <laughs> I just could not believe that this is what everyone else um, had experienced. So, and I, so it was like a good like month and a half. And then, um, yeah, I was really shocked when my husband at the time was like, uh, it wasn't until seeing you hang out with Danielle that I realized that I've never really seen you in love before. So that was kind of like a striking thing to hear from the person that I was married to. And I immediately, then I knew what was going on. I knew that he was right. I was like, yes, that's exactly what this is. And so, yeah, he and I had been together for like seven years. We got divorced. I mean, we split up at the end of that conversation and and I was out. <laughs> I had no idea at the beginning of that conversation that that was what was going to happen. But yeah. again, it was the, it was obvious. Yes. It's like, I had no idea what would come, but it was like the realest thing that I've ever experienced. And all of a sudden I understood what it was. And so I was like willing to do whatever it took to rearrange my life, to make space for that. I love that. That's yeah. amazing. And, and honestly, like your sweet. face and your smile right now is so it's, it's <laughs> it is contagious. And I'm just I feel I am feeling it. And it's so lovely. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that was that was the happy part. It was like the part. It was like the best thing that's ever happened to me still is. And it was obviously the first time that I was able to hear myself, you know, realize that I can was deep into an entire life that didn't make a bit of sense for what I actually wanted. And, um, but, you know, telling everyone was horrible. The actual, you know, that this is, I guess the coming into self part and the finding Danielle part was absolutely wonderful. And then the rest was horrible. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, Well, I'm sorry. It was horrible. And I'm glad that you had good stuff to balance it with. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think, and even now, you know, I I think that might even be part of why I wasn't ready um, a couple of years ago was specifically, there were so many things. There was, you know, doing an interview for the first time and kind of the anonymity component, but Mm -hmm. also was talking about coming out. And I think two years ago at that point, I was like, oh, it had been 10 years and I felt like I should feel (laughs) safe and happy, but And the reality was that like coming out and I think some of the stuff that I even talked more about last time, I mean, I didn't really talk about anything major last time. I didn't talk about this time, but I think just bringing up um, the memories and talking about it publicly, I realized that I, it was just really unresolved, unprocessed trauma. So now I'm like two years later, I've done a lot of EMDR in these last couple of years. And it was like a, a year ago, even that Danielle said to me that, it seemed like even still when I look back on coming out, it was mostly about what I lost and not what I gained. Hmm. And she was right. The trauma of basically everything that came after um, kind of coming out in the rest of my life, sort of burning my life down. And um, it took me years to recover from that. And I think it's really only in the last year or so that when I look back at that time, that what genuinely comes up to this for me the most is what I 
gained in myself in my relationship with Danielle. And it's not that kind of visceral feel of unsafety and, you know, vulnerability to abandonment and violence and stuff, you know, that it, it really, it feels different. So I'm really grateful for that. And I think that's why I'm ready to talk that, you know, to talk about it now when I wasn't really a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think so much of, um, what, what the focus is on when it comes to queer identity or coming out is kind of the negative stuff and like, what, what Mm -hmm. will you, what will one lose? And what will you lose? uh, Yep. Yeah. And so I am a big proponent of focusing on the joy, focusing on, well, what are you going to gain? And I remember having a conversation with my parents, um, mostly like when I came out as trans of like, you know, Mm -hmm. this is not, this is not uncommon, but you know, like, I feel like I'm losing my daughter. I feel like I'm losing la la la. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I'm so much happier and healthier and safer and more myself. Like, isn't, can we talk about that part also more, Mm -hmm. more importantly, like the, the idea of a daughter is that was put on me. I never claimed that. And, mm-hmm. um, it was never accurate. And, um, it also feels this, I don't know this, I'm not sure if I, how I feel about this as I'm about to say it, but like s- superficial, like, it's just like a surface mm-hmm. word or relation relationship model that actually, yeah, like it's so much deeper. We're able to be when we're able to be ourselves. Um, and mm-hmm. so that really resonated of like that idea of, but I, but you know, the narratives that are out there are to focus on the, the, the pain and what we're going to lose. Yeah. And I totally understand that. Yeah. Well, and I think that that like, like can really like live in your body for a while. Like, you know, I think a couple of years ago I was trying to talk about the good parts, but honestly, I was like having a panic attack because my body was like, actually, that was a really dangerous thing. And we should not recommend anybody do that, you know, because it felt very, it was very hard. Um, and so it's like that plus like, you know, I just always like just wish all of like the love and resources and community and stability for people who come out because for people who do lose a lot, it can, it can take a lot, I think, and time to kind of get back to yourself, depending on what the experience, um, was like. And like what you're saying too, about people's idea of you, when you were saying that, I was thinking about how that is one of the hard things to lose is the idea that people like love you for you, which isn't always not true, but sometimes you find out that people love you for a role they had you in mind for. Yeah. And that right. in of itself is something to grieve. And then you find a lot of things shifting and, and then it's not really until you've had at least for me, some space to really, I guess, reconnect with yourself that whether or not people are satisfied with you meeting the roles they wanted you to play, like how much that matters to you, I guess that sentence might come out clear, but yeah, um, that matters less with more healing. Yeah. 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 I am. Okay, so I want to circle back to something you said earlier and to see if if I'm either just grasping at straws here or if maybe there's something here. Um, okay. But you, you were talking about like living like a split life, like two lives. And <laughs> yeah. what what came up for me hearing that was this kind of two parts of my own journey, which was like when I was in the closet 
And so like my Mm -hmm. internal Mm -hmm. life versus my Mm -hmm. external life, both as a, as a gay queer person. But then again, Mm -hmm. as um, even unconsciously, subconsciously, and a little bit conscious (laughs) of being trans and Mm -hmm. um, Mm non-binary and having that live on the inside and not necessarily be outward about it. And so I'm saying all that because I also like that plus the patterns that we grow up with and that, that are ingrained in our brains, like start to manifest in certain ways. And so like when I, when I drank, I would have these patterns of self-destruction and I would get down on myself and it just was over and over. But it's like, that's because when I was 20 and below before coming out or below younger, um, I would get be so hard <laughs> on myself around like being like being yeah. upset that I was queer. And so I would try to self-destruct. And so it's like those patterns kept repeating mm-hmm. until I was finally able to hold everything at once and and really see and once I once I wasn't living a split life and once I was out and like living in my authenticity and in my true being, then I was really mm-hmm. able to see okay what what are the other patterns that I'm repeating that are harmful Mm. to me so all of which is to say am I on to something Mm -hmm. with the like split life oh you're on to something okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay therapist I I know we're doing here therapy a lot of years (laughs) (laughs) that's so um insightful Dobbs yeah I definitely was like I know how to do this. I know how to be one person here and one person there. And I think I've always had like some kind of code switching has been a part of my life, like Asian community, white community, and then same thing around like queerness. I think that being different people in different settings has been an important way that I've kept myself safe and taking care of myself when I was younger. Um, and that my instinct was that it would still be the thing that would keep me safe now, but I don't think that it is. And my therapist and I did talk about this, um, specifically because my impulse was just really strong to say, it'll just be safer to kind of, you know, keep things separate. And I, if if people know the truth about me they will probably leave, um, which has been sort of my, I've had experiences that have been that way. Right. So it felt like there was a lot of echoing this feeling of like coming out, um, that I thought it would be like that when I started to kind of like show my face online and sort of break that anonymity. And, um, the fact that it wasn't, I kind of, like I mentioned this earlier was actually was something I really wanted to like soak up and try to get my brain to like really experience and memorize as much as it has experienced and memorized um, other things in the past because that didn't happen this time. But it was, it was so, okay, all of that. Now I've just thought of something else to say. So maybe I'm going to even contradict myself, but here's the thing. I've always been very out on the internet with my pronouns and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And so mm-hmm. contrasting that, let's say to my job, I work in healthcare. So that's a weird place to try to be out, especially around gender, because like talking to pronouns is not normalized. At least it wasn't in the setting I was in. And I'm seeing patients that I will only see once. I'm meeting new people constantly. 
huge, huge staff with constantly changing schedules. So it's not like I work with a group of coworkers who are getting to know me. And I was not very out at work because of the fact that it just, I never figured out a good groove to figure out how to have that conversation 25 times a day. And the times I did, a lot of times it didn't feel good. It didn't go well. And so part of why I didn't talk about my art in real life was because if people saw my art, they'd be like, oh my gosh, you're this like entirely other person. And I think that I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel ready for people in real life to see my art and to know some of the things about me that I share online, just as much as I wasn't ready for people online necessarily to see my face. (laughs) (laughs) And it just was scary to merge those two. And it was not as dangerous as I thought it would be once I actually did. Well, I'm I'm obviously so thrilled that it's not been dangerous and that it's been a relatively easy integration um, and sounds like very positive also. Um, So once you, so once the big reveal happened, and I know you mentioned Mm -hmm. that people then started making, well, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but the, the, the idea was, and then correct it if it's wrong, Mm -hmm. that people then started making assumptions because they were perceiving you in a certain way, even though they had known your pronouns for years before. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on what have been positives that, that have come from the, after the big reveal, we'll call it TBR. I had to like, look at it to be like, is that TBR the big reveal (laughs) and like pre and post TBR. (laughs) So what, how, how has your relationships have your relationships with, um, social media friends and followers and patrons shifted in a good way. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that's just been inside of me is the feeling that I suddenly have a lot of space because before I had sort of set up these arbitrary walls, I guess you could think of them as like boundaries. It's sort of like I put these sort of edges on like, this is all of myself that I can be here. And it was kind of a role. It was like, um, I, you know, I guess actually backing up a little bit, one of the things that I would write about, um, I just write to myself like in my journal, <laughs> write about, um, when I was starting out with the art account and noticing that I was sharing a certain things, but not other things was this fear that I would sort of develop like a second self, like a persona. And I really didn't want to do that. I really wanted it to be, um, me, but I also felt so private and so protective that I didn't know. I felt like no one could um, understand me or know me, which sounds a little bit, maybe now it's a little, a little bit dramatic, but I really <laughs> felt that way. Like, um, A, I could never explain everything. Like I just felt too complicated inside, but also I felt like once I knew everything, the relationship would be over anyway. So it seemed like, um, any relationship I had was sort of this compromise of holding back certain parts of myself to be palatable. And that wasn't really an accurate belief, but that was how I felt in the world. And so I remember like partway through, I made part, if if you're not as people listening, like if you haven't seen my art, I make a lot of these things that I call abstract diagrams. So they're kind of like abstract art and shapes, but then I label components of them to show relationships between things. 
And I made this piece um, maybe like three years ago now that is a gray circle that kind of looks like the moon and then it has a little slice of bright yellow on the side. So it kind of looks like the moon that's just lit up on the edge. And the that yellow part is called, I labeled it as like social media me and the gray part is mm. like all of me. And I called the piece Ode to the Dark Side of the Moon because the point was like, I'm not a fake person. Like nothing about what I put on the internet is not real. It's just part of me. It's just, it's just a slice and that's okay. But also like, it's important for me to not feel like that's the good part of me just because maybe it's like a shiny part of me or like a part that people, that some people like that really the rich stuff, the good stuff is the gray part. And I think that I just carried this, I, so I was taking care of myself in the sense that I was like, you know, I don't have to say anything that I don't want to. I don't have to share anything that I'm not comfortable with. And the deal that I struck was like a very, very thin sliver was in the light. And basically, I think what happened was that I was able to say, okay, there's just more space here. And that, you know, we can light up more of the moon. And it's not all of it. It's so important to me to be, I'm still a I think private in some ways, but one of the things that happened is once I kind of like expanded those boundaries is that I could be a lot more candid. I just found out I had a lot more space to be myself. Like so many people were like, um, like just said really kind things to me. Like, Oh, it's so good to see like what some of the comments that were the most like one, like made me cry was the person who said, I've, never seen you, but I've been following you for like five years and you look exactly like yourself. Mm. And that like just moved me so deeply because wow. I think that I was so afraid that people would be like, oh, you seemed awesome, but actually you're just, look at you. I don't know what I thought <laughs> they would think, but something, it would be like a, I don't know, some sort of like reality check let down or something that I, I can't even put my finger on it, but I just was was afraid that um not only not just that people would reject me but that somehow they're like I felt like I was being real but I was afraid that people would see me as um see a disconnect or like a falseness or something and I just felt really worried about me misunderstood in that way that's another thing is I've just done a lot of work around it's okay if I'm misunderstood it's okay if people it's okay if people see me and they're like that's not who I pictured but a lot of people said yeah like seeing you perfectly matches the you that I've, you know, cared about all these years. And that was like the sweetest, sweetest thing. I love that. How affirming, right? Like for people to be like, yeah, yeah it's you. And it's like, yeah, it's yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know I wrote back. I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. But I'm like, I don't even know how to actually like write you back to say like, Oh my God. Thank you so much. So maybe that person is listening to this podcast. They will know how much that meant to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the, like, I guess I was going to say problem with the internet, but I guess it is a problem. I mean, there's so many different like entry points and angles and ways to think about social media. And I think one of the, one of the pieces that I think about a lot is, you know, because on Instagram or whatever platform someone's on, you really do only get a sliver of someone's life. And mm -hmm. um, 
there's the, the, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'll talk, I'll, we'll talk offline about what I'm actually thinking about. Like, just cause there, you know, there are so many things that I don't share publicly that yes. influence yeah. who I am publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't talk about it cause either it's not my place or I don't want to because it's personal. Um, but, but what happens is the narrative that gets taken away from, from what I do share. I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's false, but it's incomplete. And so people mm-hmm. make assumptions about my life or whatever, my community, my family, whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. and then talk to me about it. And I'm, I, there's a lot of part, there's times that I'm like, want to just be like, yell into the ether of like, that's not actually what it is. <laughs> but like, yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's really I do. hard to navigate that. Like, I'm not being, I'm not lying, but I'm not, I'm lying by omitting, I guess, but like, is it really mm-hmm. lying or is it just sharing what I want? I don't know. It's, I think about it all the time. Well, and I think queer people think about that all the time, especially people who have had complicated coming outs, because it's sort of the question of how much about myself do I need to tell you for us to be um, open in, in the clear and knowing each other. And I don't think that people like have a right to know that you're queer. Like you don't owe it to them to like come out to them, to like disclose it, to like make it real. Like you could have a real relationship and keep whatever, you know, that you think that just because you know something about yourself doesn't mean that you need to tell someone else in order to have a real relationship with them. That being said, you know, there's a certain limit to how deep the relationship can go if they don't know these core things about you that you know to be true about yourself. And so I always think of coming out, you know, as like an act of now, let me big asterisks. Now I think of coming out as an act of, of trust, of love. It's like a huge, huge compliment. If I talk to you about my gender, it means that I trust you. It means that I want to be seen by you. It means that I am willing to spend some time sharing this part of myself with you. And I don't feel like I, um, you know, have to lead with this I mean I it's complicated I I made another diagram once about gender where I was like showing like that gender was the opposite ends of the spectrum of somehow being like the most personal and also like the most um generic public thing about Mm. us especially for like cis people it's like maybe the most generic thing about them like I saw this guy at the store it's typically the only piece we have of like that's like the one bit of generic information we just say is like I saw a guy you know and we're just talking about gender. So on the one hand, it like can mean the least about you. But for me, and I think for a lot of other queer people, it's like maybe the other end of the spectrum is like the most personal thing about you. And then you have those two worlds meet where like you have this sort of like cis public world where people are like, well, if you're not this gender, you better say. <laughs> or like mm-hmm. there's a sense that like this is something that everyone knows about everyone. And they're like, it's like really hard for people when they can't tell what someone's gender is. That's like can be um, make people feel all sorts of feelings apparently you know and um it's it's a tricky thing when for some of us it doesn't feel like the most public facing ordinary part of us but it's like the most personal part of us then the way we talk about it um changes and who we talk about it to changes and so I think like myself and a lot of queer people think a lot about what it means to know things about yourself and what it means to share that with people around you. And it's not as straightforward as people make it seem. And I think I've taken those skills that I have as a queer person and applied them to the internet. And I've gotten a lot of peace from that to know that, okay, 
I can know lots about myself. I can share what I'm comfortable, when I'm comfortable. Um, I can change. My understanding of myself can change. The way I talk about myself can change. Um, and that these relationships can grow and shift as the level of trust does as well. Yeah. Wow. Love it. Yeah. It just, everything, you say, <laughs> so, everything you're saying is just so re- is just resonating and, and running through my brain. Um, yeah. I, something that something popped up for me, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit, but this idea of um, like how, when you were falling in love, you're like, no one else feels this way. <laughs> and then I feel like it has <laughs> yeah. ever felt this way. And then I feel like you brought it up again uh-huh. When like after the big reveal, I forget exact and exactly what you said, but um, yeah. which is not the best interview thing to admit, but something something similar of like no one else feels this way, and it's like wait wait wait, yeah. but sometimes and then you know it's the like someone else has to tell you, and by you I just mean there's I feel like so much, I guess what I'm trying to say is you have a um, I relate to what you said because uh, yeah. you have a print of Janet from the Good Place, not a girl. <laughs> yeah and not a girl not a girl and I watch that show I love that show I the number of times I've said I'm not a girl mm-hmm. is infinite mm-hmm. and it never right. connected in my brain <laughs> that not that Janet's ever not that it's ever been confirmed that Janet is not binary but just the like way that she the way that Janet reacts the way that yeah Janet says over and over just so matter of fact like not a girl like I'm not a girl. calling I'm not a girl. me that yeah um, <laughs> yeah I had to have you and your art pointed out to me to make that connection yeah. and I was like oh that is so brilliant <laughs> mm-hmm. she's so, such a hero <laughs> yeah truly and um so I bought two prints and they're hanging around my oh. house because I'm just like I love this and what it represents um but I just I, I was just, uh, I interviewed um, this other person earlier today, Trav- Travers Johnson, and we were talking about um, this idea of possibility models and like how how and where we're able to find ourselves and other people or find experiences. And mm-hmm. there's, I just feel like, like now we have so much access to queer literature and media and things to consume but like that just Mm -hmm. wasn't the case even 10 years ago the way it is now and so those possibility models just they weren't you know for a lot of us didn't exist in the ways that we needed them yeah we had to make it up (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so it it, felt like we were making it was because we we were I mean just right the fact that someone else had also made it up doesn't mean that we had a clue um what we were experiencing or that had ever been experienced before yeah so I just it's like there are so I would imagine and 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 I know for a fact because I've interviewed people who've had similar moments of like I just didn't even know like I had no clue (laughs) until either someone else pointed it out to me or I I had one of those like where you know they would have a like aha clarity moment or um an obvious yes moment and it's just so I think it's all of us just to say you're not alone. Not that you said that you yeah. were, but um, you actually kind of did. You're like, I'm the only one who feels this way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also just that the the importance of the work that you do and the art that you put out there and the parts that you do share 
are creating possibility models for other people. And I just think it's so great. Mm. Well, and I have to just say that like the people who follow my art interact and interact with it, create that back for me. Like there's a certain kind of representation and like um, possibility models that come from like media, but oftentimes they're still sort of like a bit shiny and packaged and stuff. And then in my actual life, I didn't know a lot of queer people. And so it was the internet and it was specifically people who followed my art and interacted with it who said to me, I feel this way too, that blew my mind and changed my life basically because I was making art about, I would really like my initial sort of task to myself was to try to make art that explained the things that were most difficult to explain. And those oftentimes felt like the things that were the most like, they were difficult to explain because no one had ever talked about them, which made me think if no one ever talked about it, maybe no one else has experienced this because it's a huge deal in my head. And if other people had experienced this, you'd think we would be talking about it. So then I'd be making art about that and just getting this overwhelming kind of feedback of people being like, I feel the same way. And it's like, I think community has been the, the most potent source of possibility models for me are just like other normal people who are like, I also am trying to figure this out. I remember having a conversation before I ever showed my face on Instagram. Um, I did a big sort of Instagram story interactive thing with people where I was like, I want to be known, but I want to be safe. And it feels like those two things are at odds. And I have like hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people wrote me back and being like, I want to be safe. And I also want to be known and they feel at odds. And so I'm always navigating, hiding and opening and hiding and opening. And all along the way, I just think we can be that to each other, you know, even, even when we're anonymous. I see them they didn't see me these were in the early days but we can be that to each other and the same thing around coming out and queerness and all the things where there's not a clear track laid even just other people being like I also am finding my way that it changes the whole story yeah it really does and I just think it's so powerful you're saying how art helped explain things and mm-hmm. I just love that about art I, whether it's like the kind of art that you do, which is like painting and captioning your painting. I don't know if you have like specific way to, yeah. <laughs> to describe your art, but, um, or, you know, even just any kind of art, right? Like theater and yeah. songwriting and composing. And it's just sure. like, I, I, I've actually, I've never been to the opera, but I've heard <laughs> that even if you don't speak the language, like you are, fully moved and emotional and it's because Mm -hmm. there's emotion that was went into writing the piece and like it's felt i'm just you know Mm -hmm. do you know what i'm saying like it's just like art is such a vehicle it's like they say to creators yeah i'm sorry go ahead no 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 go ahead we had a we had a delay here uh they weren't interrupting me everybody yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, well it's like how you know there's sort of a cliche in to artists like the more specific you are the more universal you are and I think it's because the specificity of the situation gets to a feeling and maybe that specific situation is unique I think that's what confused me is I was like nobody's ever been in this particularly shitty situation before which is true like that was all mine (laughs) but the feeling that came out of that very particular situation turned out to be the same kind of feeling that's created by a lot of other equally particular situations. And that's like, I think a way that art can connect us is that we can sort of allows us to 
develop an empathy for ourselves, empathy for other people, being able to say like, oh, I can see how you would feel in the moment. And I felt in that moment. And that sort of like reciprocal empathy is like a very powerful um, and very powerful thing. Yeah. I mean, that is just that idea of the um, like building empathy and um, the connection is just, it's, it's so much of uh, why I do a lot of the like creative or more creative, creative or more of the creative yeah. work that I do around like creating <laughs> spaces for improv and storytelling and other, other kinds of projects that I do is because it's so powerful to get to create and to feel seen and to feel heard. And even mm-hmm. if like, mm-hmm. even if the, the experiences don't exactly line up. It's again, like it's that feeling and it's, it's just feeling connected on a human level. And I interviewed um, a a few weeks ago, uh, a singer, Shia Diamond, who's a a black trans woman. And she Mm -hmm. was, you know, which, you know, the identity we share is transness. That's it. And, Mm -hmm. but so much of her experiences, I was like, me too, me too. Me too. And yeah. all, everything she was feeling, yeah. I was like, me too, me too. And it was just like, it was so refreshing to be like, not, and just humbling and also just like incredible to be like in this conversation with someone who we have such different life experiences and have so much in common and have so much mm-hmm. overlap in what it is to be human. And I just wish that we all could allow ourselves to to feel those moments of humanity. Um, and I think the world would be a lot better place. Yeah. Um, I, time always flies in these episodes <laughs> and I don't want to do this, but I have to move us into our last section, which was the lightning round of questions, which you may or may not remember. So um, previously I was told my questions were too binary. So now they're open-ended, which can be easier for some people and challenging for some people to not have the choice. So hopefully it's fun and not anxiety producing. You can pass if you (laughs) don't want to answer it. It's just meant to be for fun. Are you ready? Okay. Sounds good. I'm ready. Okay. What is the name of your superhero alter ego? Oh my gosh. Okay, the thing that pops in my head is Super Sleeper, which is not even. I'm, I'm, I think that's who I want to be because I'm insomniac, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so I think maybe my <laughs> my my hero can rest. I love that. What a great. Yes, I love that. <laughs> where is your favorite place to think? Mm, probably where I'm sitting right now. I'm at my art desk, which is in my living room, looking out a window. And there's a nice view here of with a lot of trees. And this is where I get up early most mornings and I come here and I write. And yeah, the thoughts are pretty clear here. I love that. Lots of obvious yeses at that table, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who is an influential queer person who has impacted your life? Okay, all everyone, like the people that just rush in my mind are my friends, like individuals who have just, I don't know if queer people are nicer than other people, but the nicest people I know are queer people, I just have to say. So I just, I think that 
the kindness of my queer friends and just like the presence and the loyalty and just like the long-term, like no matter what happens, we're here um, is amazing. And I aspire to be, to be one of them. (laughs) That's amazing. That's beautiful. Um, And I would say generally speaking, queer people are nicer. Yeah. They're so nice. Aren't they? They're pretty nice. I mean, of course you got assholes everywhere. But yeah, like everywhere, but also generally speaking, I my think goodness. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. A, so, hopefully that's not a controversial thing we just said, um, know. but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we'll find out. Um, <laughs> what is a song that you can listen to on repeat forever? Okay. Well, first of all, I'll just say that I only listen to songs on repeat. I'm very Same. like stimmy in that way. So it's Me like, too. I listen to one song for long periods of time. And I don't have one right now because I joined TikTok and then I got very deep into TikTok for like three weeks. And then I started seeing videos about dopamine detoxes. And now I'm just taking a break from scrolling and from shows and from music with lyrics. And so nothing is coming immediately to my mind, but, um, yeah, I listen to one song at a time, like both songs a year. I guess I'll say, in, in the grand scheme of things, I've listened to Brandy Carlisle probably the most. And it's been fun to see her become so successful and be able to do some big projects lately. But I've been listening to her most most of the time for a long, long time. I love that. And I would just do anything to have Brandy Carlisle come on this podcast. Um, and I'm flying oh, to Ohio to gosh. see her perform. And she is Are incredible. You? Yeah. Have you you caught her at a concert? Yeah, I saw her like a really small show years ago when she played small shows. And those days are probably over. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I should have gone to more. She used to play the zoo in Portland, which has been so great. But I think I took for granted um, that I would be able to catch more shows in the future. Mm. Yeah, only went to one, but... Listen, I just listen, listen, listen. I mean, concerts are hard for me. Like the stim level is a lot. So I, I'm a good, I'm a good headphones fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we can talk Brandy Carlisle song specifically later, but yeah. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Just you and me on the rock, even though I said, we'll talk about it later. I like cannot stop listening yeah. to that one in turpentine. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, it's so good. There's, yeah. Yep. Um, okay. A lot. Okay. So. A lot of states have proposed don't say gay bills. How do you say gay? <laughs> do I just say gay? You can. It's <laughs> however you interpret it. Is Some that people... a joke that I'm not getting right now? No, no, no. It's just a poorly worded <laughs> okay. question. I've yet to figure out how to ask better. Oh, okay. I don't know. But my friend just sent me a text message the other day that a picture of a sandwich board that was in front of a coffee shop that said if no bookshop that it was like if your life is a story or if your life is is written into a book make sure that it's one that will be banned in florida and i think that's, that's like perfect. really good advice yeah that is the exact <laughs> answer to this question <laughs> even though it's a bad question <laughs> yes i guess i say gay by making sure that my biography will be banned in florida yeah that's amazing that's like maybe the per- most perfect answer i've gotten so far um <laughs> where do you find joy Oh, I mean, more and more places lately, but my 
I have a little dog. I have two little dogs, Miko and Elsa. And they're just the light of my life. If you follow me on social media, you'll maybe see more dog content than you were signing up for, but they're, they're pretty, they're pretty precious. Elsa has Elsa's old. Um, she was telling me today that she just feels like a hundred years old. She just couldn't wake up, but her legs don't work anymore. So she just uses, she uses a wheelchair, which we just got recently, but she's still like, gets very into sniffing stuff. We take her on these short walks and it just makes me so happy to see them like the, the, the amount, the interest they have in the world, like is an absolute inspiration. I just, yeah, every time I see what makes them happy, it feels like the things that can make me happy expand just a little bit. That's so sweet. Do they get along with each other? Yeah. Yeah. They're pals. We just adopted, we got them both from rescues, but a year apart. And so it took, um, especially the older one, it kind of took her a minute. She needed a house with no men, no kids, no pets. And so she was waiting at the, um, at the rescue for quite a long time to find a good fit. And we were like, that's us. And then when we got the other puppy, we weren't sure, but she has just brought it just, she's like kind of come back to life. She had just retired from playing and doing stuff. You know, she just kind of wanted to eat and sleep. And now with this puppy around, she like plays and it's really a sweet thing to see. That's so nice. Yeah. Have you posted uh, Elsa in the wheelchair? Can we see? Can we see oh, this? Yeah. Okay. I'll have yeah, to look. Yeah. Oh, I missed reel. it. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. all like, it's so sweet. It's like total like praise to mobility aids and all of the, I just, you know, we, everyone in my family, we all have different like disabilities and chronic illness stuff and, you know, adaptation and accessibility. It's just like an ongoing creative project for us and we love it. So we always get very excited whenever we find something new that works, that makes it a little bit easier to live the lives we want in the bodies that we have without trying to change those things, you know? Yeah. There's yeah. nothing wrong. It's just uh, making life easier when you can. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Last question that I did ask you before, okay. which is bagels or donuts? Oh, oh, bagels. That's and there are no wrong answers. Yeah, that's but the that's correct, the right that's answer. correct answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I was gonna yeah, yeah. say. <laughs> I yeah. feel like that's the right answer. <laughs> yeah, that was the right answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Britt, this has been incredible. Thank you for being here and thank you for coming out. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Have it for having me again and for your just incredible patience last time around. I'm excited to finally complete this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming out.